welcome to the Raw is Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, and once again, we turn to 1995, October 23, to examine the evening's Raw and Nitro. Before we head over there, though, I'd just like to say a big welcome to all our new listeners and subscribers and followers on Twitter this week. There's been some good activity, especially since the move over to 4CR. Um, if you haven't heard by now, check us out on 4CRonline.com, the Twitter feed at 4CR Radio, um, and you can also find us on their iTunes feed as well as the iTunes feed for the show. As always, if you are on iTunes and checking us out over there, please do feel free to leave us a five-star review and get in touch. Um, and feel free to give any suggestions or comments for the show on Twitter. Now, with all that aside, the night's uh, events for Raw and Nitro saw Nitro actually win this battle again with a 2.6 rating to Raw's 2.2. But as you all know by now, we don't let the ratings decide who the winner was. We make that call ourselves. So without any further ado, let's head on over and have a look. Nitro comes to us from Huntsfield, Alabama, and as Eric Bischoff informs us in the opening, it's the number one wrestling show in the entire world, and we cut right to a match straight away with no no real introduction to the show. It's going to be Macho Man Randy Savage up against Kurosawa. You can tell by the sounds of the voices that we've got the usual commentary team of Eric Bischoff, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Steve Mongo McMichael. And Kurosawa is cursed with the jobber entrance. He's already in the ring with Colonel Robert Parker. Savage comes out to a pretty good pop, gets in the ring and attacks Parker right away before Kurosawa takes over on the Macho Man with some good kicks. Um, he's got a good variety of different kicks in the early going and some chops as well, mixing it up, a little bit of a martial arts style. And Eric Bischoff is going nuts on his sort of kick calls. The front, uh, Not the front leg bag kick, I think that's a Tony Schiavone thing, but the, the right leg roundhouse kick and the back leg front kick and whatever it is he's saying, he's going a little bit crazy trying to show off his karate expertise. Savage does, ev- does eventually cause some separation and he tosses Kurosawa out the ring, who probably no-sells it, gets straight back in and goes right back to work on the Macho Man. He then picks Macho Man up like he's going to hit him with a spine buster, but kind of flips him over like a backdrop while still holding on in a cool move, similar to a Northern Light suplex, but not quite. Um, and he then starts to work on the Macho Man's arm. So far, Randy Savage has had no offense in the match. The commentators do go to lengths to point out that Macho Man's arm is injured. I'm not sure what he did, but it is bandaged up a little bit, so there's obviously a, a story being built here on that. Kurosawa now knocks Macho Man out of the ring and follows through with a baseball slide. It's been all Kurosawa in the early going. Uh, He does get back on the arm and then we go to a commercial break. When we come back from the commercial, not much has changed and he's still stomping away and kicking the Macho Man. Uh, But when he throws him to the outside again and attempts a baseball slide, he does miss this one. Bischoff tells us on commentary that Hulk Hogan is here as is the Dungeon of Doom. And Kurosawa badly telegraphs a kick on the outside, lining up the Macho Man who's against the post. Savage moves and he catches the post with his shin. They get back in the ring and not too long after this, Savage hits him throat first into the top rope, sort of ducks out the way and pushes him into it. When he goes down, climbs up top, hits his top rope elbow for the three count in a very strange match where Macho Man looked weak right up until the end and then just hits a couple of offensive moves and gets the win. The commentators reiterate the fact that we're going to see Hulk Hogan in the Dungeon of Doom, and all of a sudden the lights go out and it's time for this. Wait, wait. What, did they blow a fuse or something? 
Eric Bischoff a little bit later on. I'm going to be talking to Hulk Hogan. Right now, let's get back to you. Oh, my. Now, for those of you not aware, the first part of that promo was done by the Master of the Dungeon of Doom. If you're not sure who he is or have never seen this period of WCW, uh, think about He-Man Skeletor and if he had a baby with Mr. Burns and was sat on a big chair in a smoky-filled, sort of dimmed room. That's what you've got here, the man leading the Dungeon of Doom. After the madness of all that promo as well, Eric Bischoff comes out with a great line where he tells us, in relation to Halloween Havoc coming up next week, to phone your cable company and tell them want to be part of history. Now, I know I'm not supposed to take things like this literally, but I did have to sit and ponder what, what it would be like. I can only imagine what the call centre employee would have said back to me when I said, hello, I'd like to be part of history, please. I could only imagine if it was me on the other end of that call, he would have said, fuck off, mate, I'm busy. Anyway, next up, Gene introduces Hulk Hogan and Jimmy Hart, uh, both in black still since they're on the dark side, and it's quite clear here that this is a Hulk Hogan crowd. Um, Hogan has a choice line where he says, everyone knows what a man in black gloves and a black rag can do. Obviously, um, referencing the O.J. Simpson murder, which was a bit of a shitty line, really, for Nitro. And he also takes a bit of a pop shot at some of the baby faces, namely Sting, Lex Luger, and the Macho Man, where he says, you little dogs can fight it out to see who's got the biggest bark. He's not so much evil as he is just putting everyone else down, which is typical Hogan move. Uh, we then get the advert for Saturday night, WCW Saturday night, and we're told that Harlem Heat will be in action. There'll be Lex Luger, The Shark, and Hulk Hogan all on the show. Sounds like a good one. From there we go to... Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko up against Eddie Guerrero and Mr. JL. Fuck yeah. Babyface team of Guerrero and Lynn come out with Alex Wright on crutches, and the commentators tell us that Alex Wright was meant to be in this match. They don't say which member he was meant to be in for, but he's hurt, so we've got Guerrero and Lynn instead, and that is awesome. When the match gets underway, Guerrero and Benoit start us off with a really quick hot start. It's good stuff. Pretty early in the match, though, Benoit does tag in Malenko, and they do a really cool double leapfrog spot where Guerrero is whipped against the ropes, and they both leapfrog him as he's coming in uh, before hitting a bit of tandem offense where one goes for an arm drag and the other comes off the ropes to hit Guerrero, but he smartly rolls out the, out the ring to avoid the move. In doing so, though, Dean spots this and just comes over the top rope with a big plancher, so really good start. Benoit tries to follow it up with a plancher of his own, but Guerrero gets out of the way and he hits Dean Malenko by mistake. Guerrero then slips back in the ring, gets Lynn off the ropes, and tosses him over the top rope onto the two opponents. Good stuff. Back in the ring, Guerrero puts himself up on the shoulders of Malenko, almost like a torture rack um, that he's putting himself in, but spins out of it into an arm drag, before Malenko comes back with a leg lariat, and then Guerrero comes back with a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker. Guerrero tags in Lynn, and Lynn comes charging at Guerrero, who, with his back to Malenko in the corner, basically helps Lynn into a leapfrog over the top of Guerrero, landing into Malenko, and then Bischoff spoils it all. He tells us there's a fight in the back. Let's go there right now. Why? Why, Eric? Why? And then what makes matters even worse, we go to the back to see who's fighting, and it's Scott Norton and the Shark. Really, we had to interrupt this. We couldn't have interrupted Savage and Kurosawa, which was a snooze fest. Um, and again, they're doing the crappy little split screen where the screen's not half and half. It's two inset boxes in a screen with just a generic nitro graphic covering more than half the screen. So, rubbish. Thankfully, it doesn't last too long, though, and we get back to the ring, and Benoit's sending uh, JL um, into Dean's forearm. 
and they do some tandem offense where Benoit puts him over with a neck whip and Dean Malenko comes in with a drop kick to the back while Lynn sat down. They send us to a commercial break and when we come back Dean Malenko is hitting a nice looking belly to belly suplex on JL and um, there's an iceberg in the aisle. Uh, interesting stuff. Mongo McMichael comes up with his best night, a line of the night, where he says the Giant's going to have to worry about Hulkamania for the rest of his immortal life. Um, if he's immortal, I'm not sure. rest of his life is really that much of a concern, Mongo. Back in the ring, Malenko and Benoit are sort of showing a little bit of heel offense here, some cheating, some faking tags, stopping the other guys getting tags. Um, and they manage to pull off a superplex on JL. But when Benoit goes for the cover, Guerrero makes the save. JL gets up with the backslide for a two count before hitting a back elbow and a hot tag to Eddie Guerrero. Guerrero comes in and flips over the top of a backdrop and hits a, hits a drop kick to Di Malenko and then nails Benoit who's on the apron. He runs up the corner with an arm drag and head scissors combo on the two heels. On the way up to running up the corner he makes a tag to JL as well. And then Guerrero sends Benoit over the top rope going with him with a cross body. Um, Alex Wright on the outside uses his crutch to trip Dean Malenko, and JL hits a victory roll for the 1-2-3 before heading out of the ring, and Brian Pillman appears in the aisle, attacks Eddie Guerrero, leaves him laying, and just walks off. Good stuff, not a bad match at all. From there, we go to our final match of the night, which will be Harlem Heat with Sister Sherry, up against Sting and Lex Luger. Should be a good one. During the entrances, I noticed something that Hogan alluded to in his promo earlier in the night, which I didn't think much of at the time, and that's Sting walking around with, as Hogan put it, a Fu Manchu and dressing in the red and yellow. And sure enough, here's Sting with a moustache on the go and red and yellow scorpion trunks. So interesting subplot going on here. Booker T and Sting start the match off for a quick start, which I was quite thankful for. Obviously, the two best workers out of the four. Uh, Booker T hits a nice kick, gets Stevie Ray in for a drop kick, before Sting hits a hip toss and a backdrop and brings in Lex Luger. We go to a commercial break though before we see too much action out of Lex and when we come back Stevie Ray's in as well but he tags out to Booker T pretty quickly. Harlem Heat begin double teaming on Lex Luger a little bit um, and on the outside Sherry seems to pull a Polaroid photo out of nowhere and kisses it. Can't quite see what she's doing and then I notice uh, we stay with her on the outside she pulls another one out of the back of her skirt so she appears to have pulled a Polaroid literally out of her ass. She gives that one a kiss as well which is a bit gross and the camera zooms in and it's pictures of her and Colonel Robert Parker so a little bit strange that. There's not much happening in the ring though as Lex Luger has a little bit of a sleep in Stevie Ray's chin lock. Um, never understand this close your eyes and lay still selling. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, as he fights out and gets up eventually after the two arm drop, I notice that he's got one bum cheek on display so I could do with adjusting the pants there. And Harlem Heat getting back to the ground, tagging uh, Stevie Ray tags in Booker who goes up top and misses the Harlem hangover. This allows Lex just enough separation to get the hot tag to Sting, who comes in, hits Stinger splashes on both of Harlem Heat, and attaches the Scorpion Deathlock on Booker, but Stevie hits the sidekick while it's first on. From here we go to the finishing sequence with a double suplex on Lex Luger, but Sting comes off the top rope with a clothesline for the 1, 2, and the 3. For the main event, it wasn't too bad. Um, it had its good spots. It was definitely better when Sting and Booker T were in the ring. Uh, Lex and Stevie Ray slowed it down a little bit, but not a bad match overall. Almost immediately after the match though, Harlem Heat head out of the ring and the Giant and Kevin Sullivan come out. This time there's no confusion about whether or not Lex is with them as the Giant choke slams both Lex Luger and Sting. 
bringing out Randy Savage, and before he can get physically involved, Hulk Hogan, who asks Randy to step out of the ring so he can take on the Giant himself. The Giant no-sells some of Hulk's punches, uh, but then the Giant gets a hold of him and clubs him. Hogan, however, no-sells that, and goes to some punches to the head, and then starts ramming the Giant's head into the buckle, who begins to start feeling some of the effects, bringing out the Dungeon of Doom, who all wrote, uh, sort of get tossed out one by one by the mega powers that Savage had stuck around ringside. Doug Dillinger comes out to try and control the fracas with a billy club threatening Hulk and getting him to back away. Then we have a big noise in the arena like an explosion. The lights go out and we see that the iceberg that had been sitting in the aisle is lit up and momentarily we see some awesome wrestle crap as the Yeti bursts out but literally it's a second or two and the show is over really gutted that we didn't get a proper appearance but it's coming so that concludes nitro not a bad show um some decent wrestling in there um some memorable angles that would you know for better or worse will be discussed for years to come a bit of a mixed bag there uh, but it's got me smiling watching the wrestling as we head over to monday night raw from Manitoba, Canada. Um, the night after the In Your House pay-per-view Great White North, um, I mentioned on Twitter earlier in the week that we're going to test out some new format ideas. Um, one of them is the timing of the show, with pay-per-views not actually occurring on the same night. It's a little bit hard to keep the timeline in order, so what I'm going to do is watch the Raws and Nitros before both pay-per-views and then review both pay-per-views after I've reviewed all the Raws and Nitros. What this will mean is likely there'll always be one Raw or one Nitro that happened after a pay-per-view appearing here before the pay-per-view in our timeline. I'm going to test it out to give us your feedback and let us know how that how you find that. Anyway, the show opens up with Vince voicing over some video clips of Big Daddy Cool Diesel and Bret Hart brawling at the night before's pay-per-view. Um, before we see a little bit of a video in here that Alondra Blaze is going to be challenging Bertha Faye for the women's title, and we hear that there's a 20-man battle royal for a shot at the Intercontinental title. Then we go into a recap of Shawn Michaels' Dean Douglas Razor Ramon saga from the night before, um, essentially where Shawn vacated the title. It was awarded to Dean Douglas, who immediately jobbed it out to Razor Ramon. From there, we do cut into the arena, and it's Vince McMahon and Jerry Lawler at ringside. Um, and we're also told that we'll see Avatar tonight as the ring's filling up for the 20-man battle royal. Sid comes out, and we see an inset Sid promo very whispery, saying how he's going to win the match. And then we have an inset promo from Marty Jannetty, and DDS comes out to the ring, rounding out the 20 men. It's a little bit hard to name everyone that's in there, but I'll try and go through the eliminations as best I can. My first glance of characters in there included Kama, Aldo Montoya, and King Kong Bundy. But as quick as I can start writing the characters, Bundy's tossed out, so he's gone first. 
there's lots of punches and brawls as you'd expect in a battle royal lots of sort of half-hearted attempts to get people over as skip tosses out aldo montoya nice and early and they continue with the brawling sid's just walking around slapping people he's making no effort to make it look realistic he's just slapping people in the back making a noise um we see triple h rocking in the ropes between the top and middle as fatu pounds away on him and we see someone in the background is tossed out bob spark plug holly Sid nails a huge boot on Duke the Dumpster Drozzy to put him out, and Skip tosses out Hakushi, bless me, as um, someone in ECW would say, memory's gone on me. A replay shows that we missed Fatu being uppercutted over the top rope by Kummer, and Barry Horowitz tosses out Skip as Vince McMahon does the Horowitz wins line, um, middle of the battle royale, so a bit lame. We go to an ad break, and when we come back, several people have been eliminated, including um, Barry Horowitz, Henry Godwin, and the 123 kid. We're down to seven men after the commercial. Uh, we found out also that Rad Radford was eliminated, as was Kummer. And Sid tosses DDS over into a big boot, sorry, by Marty Gennetti. Sorry, tosses DDS and hits Marty Gennetti with a big boot. I've really got to get better handwriting. Um, Marty goes for a roll-up pin on Owen Hart because he's an idiot. Jerry Lawler agrees, and he says that it's because he's brain damaged. And we get a big Bam Bam chant, actually, and he shoulder-blocks Sid over the top rope to a huge pop. Savio Vega then nails a spinning kick on Jean-Pierre Lafitte as we see Razor Ramon is watching backstage before going to another commercial break. When we come back, we're down to the final four, which is Jean-Pierre Lafitte, Owen Hart, Savio Vega, and Marty Jannetty. Bam Bam had been eliminated in the break. Uh, they pair off, and it's Marty Jannetty and Owen Hart going at it. Savio Vega and Jean-Pierre Lafitte going at it. Um, there's lots of close calls. No one goes for a little while. Um, Owen grabs a hold of Vega's boot, but he hits an enziguri on Owen. Um, Marty skins the cat and head scissors Savio Vega out on the way back in, which is interesting. He then dumps Jean-Pierre Lafitte as well and tosses Owen, who never actually goes off the ropes. So he steps back in between the ropes. Marty immediately clotheslines him over the top, but he lands on the apron again, stays in it. And Marty begins punching and unloading on Owen, who's just hanging on one rope by one rope when he gets to the bottom rope to hold on to it. It looks a little silly, but it's not bad. Um, he does manage to get back in and hits an enziguri on Marty. Um, before we have a weird repeat spot where Owen picks up Marty in a fireman's carry, Marty sort of falls down on him, almost like he'd clotheslined him, but with no momentum. And it was a move they'd done a few moves prior, which seemed a little out of place then. To do it twice definitely seemed strange. And I do notice at this point, Pat Patterson, for some reason, has come down and has stood in the aisle. They don't make any mention of it. It's before he was a, you know, a well-defined Stooge character on TV, obviously. And um, Marty tosses Owen between the ropes this time, but he's not eliminated, so he gets back in. Owen returns a favour, and he tosses Marty between the ropes. Um, he's not eliminated either. He then steals Jim Cornette's tennis racket for some reason, begins to chase him around the ring, and from out of the aisle, the British Bulldog nails him, a couple of stomps, throws him into the stairs, puts him back in, and allows Owen pretty easily to dump him out for the win. Owen at ringside after the match is interviewed by Jerry Lawler, and the highlight of that is Owen stealing Brett's line, saying he's the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. We then go to get another recap of Bret Hart and Diesel from the night before, before going to the Survivor Series Slam Jam, and a coked-up Doc Hendricks shouts all about the wildcard match, which you'll see good guys and rule breakers, as they say, teamed up together in a random drawing. I do notice when they're talking about the participants in the match, it's curious that Shawn Michaels is going to be wrestling, um, because he couldn't wrestle the night before to defend his title and had to vacate it, so that's a bit strange. 
If he's good to go in a month, I don't really see why he couldn't drop the belt personally, but hey, that's a bit of a theme of the time. And then we go to Bob Backlund campaigning in the crowd, but he's not actually in America, so that doesn't make much sense. Um, and then we go to an Ahmed Johnson promo. He's basically straight out of the shower. He's drenched with no top on, and he's not actually made his debut in the WWF yet, so he's a bit of a... We're not, not, not sure what to expect, a bit of an unknown quantity, but he does assure Sean everything will be okay with him being in the wild card match with him. His exact words are, Sean, don't sweat it, G. From here we go to a commercial break, and when we come back it's time for a rather um, monumental occasion. It's the debut of Avatar. For those of you that don't know, Avatar was one of the failed characters of Al Snow before he latched onto the Al Snow character in ECW, along with Leaf Cassidy being his other poor gimmick choice in the WWF. Avatar, for his debut, he comes out to the ring not wearing his mask but holding it, gets in the ring and puts the mask on. When he puts a mask on, he looks a bit like a cheesy Mortal Kombat ripoff slash Hayabusa indie Mark II. Uh, it's a bit of a strange look. It's very yellow, I'll put it that way. He's facing a, a jobber that I haven't heard of before, Brian Walsh, who looks just like the yourself character from NES's WrestleMania Challenge. Um, if you've not played that, nostalgia could kick in. You'll probably get bored of it after about 10 minutes. It's pretty limited, but it was the first wrestling game I ever owned, so it'll always hold a special place in my heart. The action gets started, and we have a bit of a strange start with Avatar hitting a single leg takedown on Brian Walsh, who nips up. Um, interesting move for a jobber there. They exchange some arm ringers um, before... Walsh comes in for sort of a clothesline, which Avatar ducks. He then throws a kick, which I'm guessing was meant to be aimed at the back slash back of the head of Brian Walsh. It misses by a mile, and Walsh stands there for about a good 10 seconds trying to figure out if he should sell it or not. He eventually does begin to sell it, so Avatar nails another kick to the back of the head. It looks really bad. The crowd are obviously not into this whatsoever as well, if you hadn't uh, figured that one out for yourselves. The second kick sends Brian Walsh outside the ring, and Avatar climbs the turnbuckles uh, up to the top rope, and then loses his balance, so just sort of drops back off the ropes to his feet. Walsh, who had been stood there expecting the spot, looks a bit stupid, as Avatar then just decides to hit him with a plancher instead. Um, Vince tries poorly to cover up, saying maybe he didn't lose his balance, and he knew what he was doing all along. No, Vince, it looks shit. Uh, back inside, Avatar misses a moonsault, and Walsh hits a couple of clotheslines before Avatar comes back with a flipping clothesline and a backbreaker, hits a standing moonsault on Walsh, then walks onto his chest and standing on him, jumps off him onto a splash for the three count in a really poor debut. It looked crap. A uh, couple of botches in there. He looked like he was struggling to see through the mask a couple of times. He was trying to adjust it. Just everything that could go wrong did. From there, our good friend, Barry Dodisky is trying to hock as the Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels cardboard cutouts. As always, he promises the um, WWF Classic tape if you buy one, but still no one's produced one for me, so Twitter world, get on it. We go to a commercial break, and as we're going, we're told that next week we'll see Razor Ramon vs. Owen Hart for the Intercontinental title, and Gold Dust vs. Savio Vega should be a barn burner. When we come back from commercial, we get one of the most glaring examples of WWF's revisionist history you will see. I posted on Twitter earlier today what was the first ever women's match to headline Raw, and I got the answer I expected to get, Lita versus Trish Stratus, but many, many, many years before that happened, we had these two ladies main eventing this episode of Raw, 
Bertha Faye defending her Women's Championship against Alondra Blaze. So there you go, a little trivia fact that you can show off with your friends against uh, with next time you see them. Bertha Faye, for any of you that haven't seen her before, you should really Google her and have a look uh, for yourselves. But she's wearing a hideous coloured outfit with some ripped tight stockings. Um, she looks a bit like the love child of Arfa from the Wild Samoans and Roseanne Barr. Alundra Blaze comes out to a pretty good pop, though, and gets some pyro, the only pyro of the evening, so that was interesting. Harvey distracts her early on, and Bertha Faye hits the hoe train attack, and a pretty cool-looking press slam, followed by a body slam and a leg drop, but it only gets her a one count. Alundra Blaze comes back with a sunset flip for a two count, before Bertha Faye hits her with a clothesline. Um, Alundra goes for a second sunset flip attempt here, but... Bertha doesn't really have a hold of Bertha, who just sits on her for a two count, um, and hits some snap mares and starts pounding on her. We go to a commercial break, and when we come back, Alondra Blaze has somehow got a Boston Crab on Bertha Faye, but it's pretty weakly on, and Bertha powers out of it pretty easy. Um, goes for a backdrop, but Alondra Blaze flips over the back, and she catches Bertha Faye with an arm drag, and then hip toss. She goes up to the second rope and hits a missile drop kick for a two count, then hits a nice spin kick for a two count, and a crossbody for a one count. She goes for a power bomb, but what was she thinking? Um, wrestling logic here, trying for a power move you have zero chance of getting on a bigger opponent just so you can hit, be hit with a, with a move, um, and as such he is hit with a backdrop. Everyone could see that coming. Bertha Faye hits a slam on Alondra Blaze there and goes up the ropes, um, but Alondra Blaze gets up and comes and hits her with a head scissor to bring her back off the top rope. Bertha Faye accidentally nails Harvey Whippleman as they try and run interference, and this allows Alondra Blaze to hit the German suplex for the 1-2-3. The a new women's champion, Alondra Blaze, in a decent match. Um, Bertha Faye's upset with Harvey Whippleman, so she chases him out the ring as Alondra Blaze celebrates her title win. So the first ever Raw Women's Main Event back in 1995, and it was actually pretty decent. Before the show goes off the air, we go backstage to JR interviewing HBK, who calls Dean Douglas overrated. Mm, I agree with him, but it's probably not the right thing to be saying on TV. Um, Also, Sean, who rates him? Sean uh, amuses his bad luck with the wildcard selections and says he may as well just tag up with his buddies back from Syracuse, so I guess it's not too soon for those jokes. Tells us that he's going to have tests on Wednesday to see if he's ready to compete for the Survivor Series and hits that classic Shawn Michaels line, I got news for you. And then informs us that he will be ready for Survivor Series. He will be fine. Colour me shocked, Shawn. I really thought you'd be out for a long time. Anyway, that will do it for this week's Monday Night Raw. So without any further ado, we go to our scoring system and pick ourselves a winner. So, coming into the five-point scoring system to pick ourselves a winner, and we're going to start off today with match quality, which goes to WCW. Eddie Guerrero and Jerry Lynn up against Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko. Enough said. The next category up, we're going to look at production values, and Nitro's been winning all the production battle uh, categories since the inception in 1995, and no different here, they do win, but it is a lot closer. Nitro's arena didn't look to be as big or as full this week, and we're all starting to up their game a little bit. Um, 
Nitro had that cheesy split screen, which sort of took, took a couple of points off it for me. And Raw did look like a bigger crowd, bigger feel. Um, it's just starting to peg its way back slowly, but surely. For characters, I'm going to go with the WWF because they didn't have the Dungeon of Doom or the Yeti. Um, just this sort of cheesiness had no business in wrestling by 1995. WWF weren't, weren't without their own sins as well. Avatar obviously was a major flop. Um, but other than that, everything else in the WWF side of things was good, solid characters, um, at least the featured ones for this show. Um, Dungeon of Doom really just can't save anything else, um, can't be saved by anything else in WCW. Storylines, I'm again going to go with the WWF. Um, despite Razor on short notice and using the Battle Royal to get him an opponent for next week, so worked out pretty well overall. Which brings us to our final category for this week's uh, score, and that's Crowd Heat, which I've gone to WCW uh, because of really the vocal support behind Hulk Hogan. Um, I've been a little bit down on Hulk Hogan, and by the mid-90s, I think most people were before his heel turn, um, but you can't deny the crowd there for Nitro really love themselves some Hulkster, so way to get your team a win, and that overall will bring Nitro out as the overall winners for this night's show. Um, ratings didn't lie, in this instance. I do think Nitro was a better show than Raw, but I think the two are pretty well neck and neck here at the moment. There's not much in it, so it's going to be an interesting battle going into 1996. That'll just about do it for this week's show. Um, we should hopefully have another one up by the weekend, which will be the two pay-per-views in your house, Great White North, which was from the night before this Raw, and the Sunday coming up after these two shows, WCW's Halloween Havoc, which features the monster truck. So I'm pretty certain we're going to have some fun recording that one. Again, thanks to everyone for listening, and especially thanks to all the people that have checked us out for the first time. Um, hope you stick around, hope you interact um, with sort of getting a, a nice little bit of interaction going on on Twitter now, so it's been good. Um, again, thank you to the guys over at 4CR, and please check out all the other pod, great podcasts they've got over there. I may sound a little bit biased, but I do think they've got the best collection of wrestling podcasts in one place, and me, so you should definitely go and check it out. That'll do it for me today, so thank you all one last time, and I will speak to you all again soon. Oh, you can't get around it. So low you can't get under it. Yeah.
catch a motion of hips, hitting them dips. See these skips, but I'm straight. As I box, rock, skate, now I'm toast to that. If it's rough, make the girls say, do that stuff, uh, do that stuff. But you got to be, you got to be a pick of the week for the top gun. Hit you with the box. Stop us now. 